Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Welcome to Listen Now, the podcast where we go through the most important and rockinest albums of all time. This season we're focusing on albums from the 1980s. I'm your host, Matt Stewart, and with me as always is my co-host and cousin, Sam Tonkin. Welcome, Sam. Hello, hello. This week, Sam, we're talking about Van Halen's 1984. 1984. And this was voted in as the 17th most popular 80s rock album by our listeners. That's what we're doing this season. We're going through the 80s albums. As voted by you, the listeners, so far, number 20 was Huey Lewis and the News of Sports. Nice. Number 19, Joan Jett Jett and the Black Hearts' I Love Rock and Roll. Great. Number 18, Midnight Oil's Diesel and Dust. And now we're up to number 17, Van Halen's 1984. Amazing. Now, if you want to know what we're doing next week, listen all the way through till after the outro track, and we'll let you know then. Um, Well, what was your relationship growing up with Van Halen? Sam, did you grow up with Van Halen? Were they friends of yours? I did. They were friends of mine from around the block. Uh, Yeah, this was very, uh, very much on the outer of Craig. Craig, as I said in earlier episode, Craig's musical uh, influences. Yeah, my dad uh, very much was a cold chisel, midnight oil type bloke. Um, Very much the Australiana pub rock. But something about Van Halen really got him. So it really got him. Uh, And so I grew up. I think this was my my first of the albums that we've done that was a greatest hits uh, familiarity that I had with the band. Right. Oh, okay. The first three you didn't have that, but this this one you did. Yeah. yeah well, for me, it's another greatest hits band. Yeah. Which greatest hits did uh, you familiar with? We had the first greatest hits. The volume one one? Yeah, volume yeah, one. And we also had best of both worlds later on, which I think there was a double disc and the covers were the pattern of Eddie Van Halen's guitar, the right. red with the white and black stripes through it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they've got that pattern at the Saints home ground sometimes, I think, because it's Saints colours. Oh, of course. Uh, but um, <laughs> Sponsored by Van Halen. And is the best of both worlds, is that one disc is David Lee Roth and the other no, is Sammy Hagar? No, it's all mixed. I don't know if it's chronological. I haven't looked at it for right. a while, actually. Um, it- but it's all mixed up and everything, which is cool. Kicks off, of course, with um, Eruption, which oh, so really, yeah, so there's nothing else. The one that I was I bought actually. Volume one. So I knew him, you know, bits and pieces off the radio. Jump was, you know, around huge, forever. Huge, 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 huge. So when it came, when nineteen eighty four came out, I was a baby, I think. So you know, I didn't. <laughs> I <kinda laughs> came admit, out banging your head. I kind of missed it first time around, but um, yeah, as as it went along, I guess you just picked up bits and pieces from yeah. whatever. So by the time I was a teenager, they already seemed like kind of old music, but uh, it was still around. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a bit. And then I don't know why, but I think I just saw it. It was at uh, a, a JB Hi-Fi or something. I saw mm-hmm. it 
discounted, $10 for the greatest hit. So I, I picked it up. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, I, I just because it, it starts with Eruption, which is, is one of his very early songs, I feel like maybe the version that I had did, I think it might have been um, chronological the way it was. Yeah, I uh, feel like volume one was. And uh, yeah, so and that was all David Lee Roth, wasn't it? No, that no, that had it went. Oh, it was Hagar in that too. Yeah, why can't this be love? Dreams oh. when it's love. So uh, pound cake <laughs> right now. Um, can't stop loving can't you. This be love. Yeah, the, the um humans being. <laughs> oh my god! I think the the general theme with David Lee Roth was like sex, and then Sammy Hagar was like, "I'm looking for love." <laughs> yeah, that's I'm looking maybe for that's the real the thing, difference. man. <laughs> I think uh, people who were around at the time seemed to. Um, not enjoy Sammy Hagar, but I don't know because for me it was all in the past. It was all in one. I thought the Sammy Hagar stuff was really fun. Yeah. Good uh, sing-alongs. Both yeah. of them are good sing-alongs. But, yeah, they're very different vibes. Yeah. Uh, but both worked, I thought. I think so too. Again, we're not purists. So no. if, you, if you're if you a big fan of Van Halen with uh, just in general or if you prefer one singer over another, please let us know. Yeah, that would be, be very interesting. Socials or our letters to Alan. And then, well, I mean, but the original lineup basically is all back together now. Yeah. Uh, well, sorry. Well, bar one. Barring Michael Anthony, the bass player. Mm-hmm. I think um, Eddie Van Halen's son's now on bass. And his name is? Gregory. Wolfgang. Van Halen. Wolfgang is what his friends call him, but his real name's Gregory. No, I'm going with Wolfgang. Uh, so Gregory. Excuse me, Gregory. Could you just rip out a bass solo? Thank you. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, Michael Anthony, apparently a great bass player, and he sort of, yeah, he, he was kind of just booted out without, I think he found out third hand or something. That he was out. Yeah, pretty, oh, pretty lame. Pretty lame. Yeah. Uh, no bueno. But, yeah, so this album, the uh, 1984. Um, now, we talked about last week Midnight Oil's sixth album, and I believe this is Van Halen's sixth album as well. Ah, interesting. That or Wikipedia is lying to me. Oh, it could do. Potentch. Uh, but interestingly as well, after this album, when they were looking for a new singer, they got Sammy Hagar. Mm. We learn in Jimmy Barnes' autobiography that Eddie Van Halen went around and auditioned him and Jimmy was sort of like, I'm not actually not keen. Yeah, that's right. I'm not keen to do ballads. Yeah, that's. Which is the the direction I guess they were going in. I wonder how they, they would have fitted. Sammy Hagar. I'd pay just to see like. Would have been sick. Just oh my god! Imagine Jimmy Barnes singing "Jump." I can't. It doesn't. I can't. It is, it I can't even weird. hear it. Yeah. Are you? He can. He's got. Remember, he's got honey as well as gravel. And nothing got me down. You got it tough. <laughs> do you, maybe we'll just call him Jimmy. Do you have? Uh, do you have a bit of info, a bit of a bio for Van Halen? Oh, I got a little a little piece here for us. Um, uh, so as we know, they are an American band. They formed in Pasadena, California in about 1972 um, and have been credited with restoring hard rock to the forefront of the music scene. Um, but before all that happened, the Van Halen brothers were born in Amsterdam uh, in 1953 and... 55, uh, and were sons to Dutch musician Jan van Halen and Indonesian-born Indo-Eugenia van Beers. Uh, And the family moved to Pasadena in 1962. Um, Young Edward uh, first studied classical piano and became quite proficient. 
uh, although never really learnt how to uh, read sheet music, which is fair. I think that shit's hard. Uh, and eventually the brothers started playing music together in the 60s with Eddie on drums and Alex on guitar. Um, while Eddie was delivering newspapers to pay for his new drum set, Alex would sneak over and play them. Uh, eventually Eddie found out about it uh, and out of frustration pretty much told Alex, why don't you go fucking play drums and I'll play your guitar, which turns out actually worked pretty well because that remained their positions for the rest <laughs> yeah. of time. <laughs> Amazing. Um so they first they firm oh goodness they formed their first band which was called the Broken Combs, another classic album band name to add to our collection. Um, in 1964, they played a whole bunch of backyard parties, gained a little bit of local popularity, changed their name to another cracker, the Trojan Rubber Co, <laughs> and then formed a band called Genesis with Eddie as lead vocalist, the guitarist, Alex on drums, and Mark Stone on bass. Uh, they initially rented a sound system from David Lee Roth but decided to save money by letting him join as a lead vocalist, uh, even though his previous auditions had been unsuccessful. Um, in 1974, so a couple of years later, they decided to replace uh, Mark Stone on bass with Michael Anthony, who was their longstanding uh, until, what, the mid-'90s? Yeah, bassist? even longer, I think. Early 2000s, maybe? Even recent, more recently, maybe. Um and was also, so he was bassist and also a lead vocalist from another local band called Snake. Um, the band eventually changed their name to Mammoth when they discovered that Genesis was already being used by, uh, you know, just a, just a little known band called Genesis, nothing too <laughs> wild. Uh, and eventually, uh, late in 1974, they changed their name to Van Halen, which was a uh, David Lee Roth claims as his brainchild, saying he felt the name had power, just like the name Santana. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, I think I think he was right. If yeah. that was his suggestion, I think it's a great band name. It just sounds like the music for like you know what just matches. Yes, Mark Anthony was there till about two thousand seven. Oh shit, that's even more recently than I thought. Poor bastard. Um, so that was the original lineup for a good chunk of their early days. So seventy four until eighty five. This album was released in eighty four, was it not? As well as the name, or was it released yeah. in eighty five? I thought it was released. No, it's released in 84. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, the year later, uh, after the successes, David Lee Roth fucked off again. Well, the, for the first time, first of many. Um, it seemed to be a running theme, actually, with the Van Halen brothers. Apparently were very particular about a lot of things and were very bullheaded, so they would not compromise a lot, which right. is why I think they've had three singers, and I might find the name of the other one. Gary Sharon. Thank you. From uh, Extreme. Old Boston band, wasn't it? You know, uh, you know, more than words. No, they had this pretty big album called Porno Graffiti. Nice. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> what, did I, well, hey, what did I call him? I'll, let me look him up. Gary. Oh, I'll just look him up. Yeah. Okay, you do that. Um, and I will continue on with Gary Sharon. Is that there what I go. said? I think so. Gregory. <laughs> oh, Gary and Gregory. You know, they're two great names. Of the 80s. So, yeah, Porno Graffiti they released in 1990, and it was big. It had songs like uh, Decadence Dance, Little Jack Horny, Get the Funk Out. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then More Than Words was a big hit, and so was Wholehearted. They, they were their sort of two big hit songs. I don't know if I've heard either of them. Okay. Is that what you're asking to hear some? Subtly, yes. More Than Words, real 90s ballady, but they were more of a, like a – a sort of a hair metal band. What? Okay. 
So, yeah, it's funny. I imagine... So, this is more than words. I reckon Craig would have loved this. Maybe. Can you fast forward it? I might know this. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, it was a big, it was a big hit, and Whole Harder was a bit rockier. Oh, this sounds familiar as well. But yeah, apparently it didn't work out when he joined Van Halen. Didn't go down super well. Oh, this is fun. Yeah, it's cool, I reckon. Oh yeah, yeah, that key change. Oh, this is going. This is a bit Bon Jovi. This is going on my running tracks. Bit of hoedowny sort of. It is hoedown metal. Love it. Hoedown metal. Oh, that's some eighties vocals though. Geez, the vibrato on some of these blokes back in the day were huge. Real good. I think the guitarist was name was Nino. Nino Gregory. Nino Gregory. That's it. (laughs) Uh, So, wait. Let me. Nuno. Nuno. Court. I would have lost it if it was actually Gregory. That would be <laughs> Anyway, we're getting sidetracked here talking about <laughs> porno graffiti. Um, well, let me see where we are at. Uh, so the their first album, I believe, had uh, Running With The Devil and Eruption on it, as well as a cover of The Kinks, You Really Got Me. Is that correct? I've written this down. It seems correct, but that's wild. And it's, that- like, it's like when we found out that K-San was on... Cold yeah. Chisel's first album. Yeah, yeah. Huge. That, so the eruption was like, um, at the time it was just like, a, I don't think rock guitar had been heard like that. And I don't, I, can't, I remember seeing this or hearing this a long time ago that uh, he used to play, he used to play it with his back to the audience so no one could steal his Oh, his finger technique. tapping method. Yeah, double tapping yeah. Before, um, before they were signed. Wow, that's insane. And people are like, and how the fuck enough. is he doing that? What are these noises? Yeah. Um, the So after that kind of album, they toured for nearly a year opening for Black Sabbath uh, and established a reputation for their performances, uh, which uh, was owed much to Eddie Van Halen's technical guitar wizardry and David Lee Roth's flamboyant antics and stage persona. Um, which is actually one of the points that made them rivals later on is because they were both quite, they were very both very much trying to be the front men. Right, yep. So it's, it's two alphas trying to go at each other basically. That's when rock bands never survive two alphas. Mm-mm, mm-mm. There's always one. It needs to be a leader and, a, and, and some beta followers. boys. Yeah, some beta or boys. Or girls. Girls can be betas too. Good save. <laughs> or any of our non-binary folk, everyone. But basically... Two alphas equals no bueno, no good. Um, so by uh, the 80s, the early 80s, Van Halen was one of the most successful rock acts of all time. Uh, and their sixth album, 1984, was a hit. And its lead single, Jump, is the band's only US number one single to date. Uh, but was I reckon we can, we can call it. I reckon they're not having a number one. Ever again? <laughs> I'd say it's probably likely. It's a bold call, but I think. Um, so it was released in oh it was released in January 1984. There you go. Uh, and then have you read this thing that you've written? Apparently not. <laughs> um, oh god, I don't know what I've written here. I've written a bunch of spud. Uh, it was well received by music critics, uh, with Rolling Stone ranking the album number 81 on the list of its 100 greatest albums of the 80s. I'm gonna I'm gonna read that article out shortly. Excellent. Jeez, you've stolen my thunder two weeks in a row now. It's a, I mean, 
It's a great. How many more albums are on that list that we're doing later in the I th- season? I think only maybe one or two. Oh, really? There's not many Shit. more. Yeah. Well, we've picked some crackers. Well, our I think our listenership has a, a different point of view to the old Rolling Stone. They're oh. a bit more with it. Let's I think say. so. I think so. Um, Van Halen. So they released four singles off of it, uh, which was "Jump," "Panama," "I'll Wait," and the MTV favorite "Hot for Teacher." Which is fair enough, it's a cracking song. Um, and I just remembered, you know, do you remember that Adam Sandler movie, Little Nicky? Yeah, I I'm pretty never sure saw there's it a, through, I'm but... pretty sure there's a scene where he's just like banging his head to run in with the devil. Right. And I think that was my first time I'd seen anything Van Halen related in like pop culture that wasn't just on Triple M. Oh, there's a, I remember there was an, a Van Halen related argument in another Adam Sandler film, The Wedding Singer. <laughs> so he was obviously a fan. Oh, yeah. Was it when they were arguing about who was the better singer? Oh, no. I think they were arguing about whose fault the breakup was. <laughs> was Eddie Van Halen versus David Lee Roth. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, please and tell he's us. Like he knew he was a cop because he backed up David Lee Roth or something. <laughs> or some, something, <laughs> something like weird. that. That's a real vague memory. Um, I'll find it and see if I can find it and post it. But yeah, tell us about what uh, what Billboard said about number 81. Uh, well, I'll tell you what Rolling Stone said. Uh, oh, Billboard, what did I say? And they So they put it in at number 81 on their top 100 albums of the 80s. Writing, it's obvious to me, says producer Ted Templeman, when asked why 1984 won Van Halen a broader and larger audience. Eddie Van Halen discovered the synthesizer. <laughs> That's what he puts it all down to. The foursome had been selling out arenas for more than a decade on the basis of Eddie's virtuosic, fleet-fingered guitar playing, singer David Lee Roth's blunt, raunchy lyrics, and the brute force of Michael Anthony's bass and Alex Van Halen's drums. But 1984 abetted by tunes that swirled elements of synth pop into metal, most evidently on the hit single Jump, and by a string of campy low-budget videos that found favour on MTV, carried Van Halen to a new plateau of popularity. No long- A new plateau is a funny way to put it. Yeah. Uh, no longer viewed as threatening to those with a chronic fear of metal, the band somehow became amusing and even endearing to middle America. And all the while, Van Halen continued to rock like crazy. What? <laughs> According to Templeman, who produced all six Van Halen albums prior to and including 1984, having time to experiment in the studio made the difference. The group was finding out how to do stuff for themselves rather than, here, do this, because we got to get back on the road, he says. So they had a little time to get creative. They got into all kinds of different things because they were bored doing the same old stuff. At the time, Eddie was in the process of building his own studio with Don Landy, the band's longtime engineer and now its producer. While boards and tape machines were being installed, the guitarist began fiddling around on synthesizers to pass time. There were no presets, says Templeman. He would just twist off until it sounded right. Uh, one night, Eddie and Alex laid down an instrumental demo of what would become Jump, excitedly ringing up the slumbering producer when they'd finished. I still have it on my answering machine, recalls Templeman with a <laughs> chuckle. Ted, come on up. It's like three in the morning, but we really came up with something great. They played a little bit over the phone. Roth added the lyrics, which he wrote while being chauffeured in his red Mercury convertible, and Jump went on to top the charts, heralding the arrival of hard rock and heavy metal in the theretofore impervious top 40. They connected with a pop audience, says Templeman. Whatever Bon Jovi has today, Van Halen picked up with Jump then. Wow. 
Jump was followed by two more singles from 1984, I'll Wait, a ballad whose chorus was written by Roth with an uncredited Michael McDonald, and Panama, a hard-charging hard number to which the sounds of Eddie Van Halen's revving Lamborghini were added. That's oh, a genuine yeah. Lamborghini sound. The album turned out to be the last recorded by Van Halen in its original configuration as Roth and was soon replaced by Sammy Hagar. Producer Templeman swears he didn't see it coming. There were no indicators to signal breakup at all. Matter of fact, they were really united on that sucker. Balls to the wall. They were going after the world, man. man. That's a fun little snapshot of what it was all about. That's interesting that I assumed that um, the difference of opinion about this album, because I've read that Roth didn't want the synthesizer work and hey, uh, and um, Van Halen did, and that that caused arguments. They mm. were going in different directions, and maybe that's why he left. But, yeah, maybe not, according to Templeman anyway. Yeah. What would he know? He's yeah. only the bloody producer. Um, That's also it? interesting that I'll Wait was a single because I knew very well Jump and Panama yeah. as well as Hot for Teacher, mm-hmm. but I'll Wait I'd never heard of before. No. And that's the other very synthy one. Yeah. So that's probably why they picked it. Jump is super synthy. I wonder if they kicked off with Jump and then yeah, jump just was the tried first to pick single. the oh, I was. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I got a little bit more about the shifting members and a couple of other fun facts. What else read you a quick one? Okay. Um, so we've already talked kind of about the uh, the shifting band members, um, but one fact that I saw that was really cool was as of 2007, Van Halen was one of only five rock bands with two, two studio albums that sold more than 10 million copies in the US. Um, I think since then a couple more have been added, but of the rock bands you've got uh, that have sold uh, 10 million copies or more. So that's Diamond, I believe. Yeah. So the Beatles have gone six times Diamond. Uh, Led Zeppelin, five, or ha- have had albums that went. Uh, Eagles have had three. Um, Bruce Springsteen, would you call him a band or would you call Because it's like Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Yeah, band. but if he's just credited. Anyway, uh, Def Leppard, uh, which was, I did not see that one coming. Pink Floyd and Van Halen. Yeah, uh, right. Huey and Lewis didn't quite get there. I thought not, sports. Not quite. Or maybe they don't. Well, this was this was all of who have done it twice or more. Oh, right. As in they've had two albums. I feel, like, that high I feel like sports went pretty close to 10 million, but maybe not. Um, number The number one uh, top-selling artist in uh, America is Garth Brooks, who has had seven albums go wow. at least diamond once. No kidding. Which is oh, insane. Yeah. And country music for you. Yeah, big, uh, big following of country music over there. Yeah. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Um, but yeah, let's get into the tracks. What do we kick off with? Awesome. Well, it kicks off with a self-titled little little intro number. A little ditty. It's called... 1985, the titular track. 1984. 1984. <laughs> <laughs> they really threw a curveball there. So this is just him sort of mucking around a bit on the synth by the sounds of it. 
kind of sounds like a, it's a, you know, it's a, a mood setter. Yeah, but the mood is not taking you where it's about to go. It's a builder. It's a tension builder. It is. So definitely, the- definitely not a cracking album opener, though, I must say. Yeah, well, it's I guess a, I don't, it's, it's, almost it's don't really count it as... A s- track? It's, it's not really the opener. What to me, it's sort of like a pre-opener. Yeah, but then, like, Eruption is also just music, but I'd count that as an opener. Right. Where do we draw the line? Yeah, what makes tricky. an opener? Write us write us <laughs> at listennowpod at gmail. What makes an album opener? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this, it just goes for a minute, and then it goes into jump. The, tr- the Really, the real, the true album opener, tr- I'd say. Um, there's a, a note here. The Minute Plus Tracks Otherworldly Synthesizer was culled from 45 minutes worth of noodling by Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> um, shout out they got it down out of that. I'd love to have opened the album with 45. 45 minutes of that, Christ. This film clip's oh. one of the happiest film clips of all time. Well, which is funny because... David Lee Roth wrote uh, in his memoir that he wrote the lyrics to jump after watching a man waffle as to whether to commit suicide by jumping off a skyscraper or not. All oh, right, he's just like, just do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's fucked, hey. Pretty fun. <laughs> but it is. Film it's so though. like happy and. And you see, there's this bit where Van Halen's doing a little. Uh, uh, and he's smiling at the camera, just, and he's yeah, just like, hey. Barrels of yeah. smiling. <laughs> yes. That's so cute. So happy. Baby, just how you feel. So the, I think most people listening would know this song pretty well. Yeah, I'd say this is like Beds Are Burning and uh, K-San and I Love Rock and Roll and, you know, some of the big tracks. This and is I've, probably the one that's over- overplayed so much that you don't really want to listen to it by choice anymore. It's really, it signals their change in direction or adding yeah. the synth sound. It's got some great lines like, uh, hey, you, who said that? Tell me how Baby, you how been. you been. <laughs> But then the Jump. next track, Panama, is sort of... I feel like it, it partners it well, but it just takes the synths back out and it's uh, just riffage again. This is one of the number one driving songs, surely. It was... I think it was used in, like, Superbad. Oh, I think it was used in Superbad when um, Fogel's in the backseat of the cop car and they're just, like, driving... They're doing, like, drifting around a car park. Right. Or something. I swear to God, that's what it is. I'll find it. Add that to my list. Um, so the lyrics for this one came in because Roth was questioned about the themes of his lyrics being solely about non-stop partying, sex and cars, and it dawned on him that he hadn't actually written about a car, so he set out <laughs> to do so. <laughs> right. Uh, and the song's breakdown featured a cameo by Eddie's 1972 Lamborghini Miura S, don't know if I said that right, which he brought down to the studio to lay down the rumble of the engine. Uh, let me see where I find it. Burning down the avenue. Let's go the chorus Love yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, just that real, like, it's great riff. All right, let me see if I can find this breakdown. Here we go. There There's that rev. From the heat coming off. 
in between my legs. Shows how much cash there was in music. This is before their big hit breakthrough album. He was already driving a Lamborghini. So then we get into a couple of tracks that I wasn't familiar with before. Firstly, Top Jimmy. Do you think, in my mind, this is about Jimmy Barnes? I they, always love to think that. <laughs> they saw Jimmy and they just like, who is like, this top guy? Top Jimmy. Also, this music, I feel like, is really beautiful and it's taken me elsewhere and then the direction of the song is totally different. And then it's sort of that slidey guitar. It's sort of yeah. that ho downy sort of... Yeah. It's got a... I what's love that... that. It's got like some dead or alive Bon Jovi sounds to it. Um, well, didn't isn't that what they were saying? Any of that Bon Jovi shit you're thinking of? It's come they got from, from this. Yeah. Um, so Jimmy was a real person called James Konek who worked at the Top Taco Stand outside A and M Records in Hollywood uh, and fronted Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs at night. That's an album. That's a band name. Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs. Right. Uh, Roth had struck up a friendship with Konek and joined him on, sta- on stage to jam. Uh, the singer's tale of the man who drove uh, all the women crazy and took over what was initially... Oh, sorry. David Lee Roth's tale of the man who drove all the women crazy took over what was initially an instrumental piece called Ripley. Right. Bon Jovi's first album came out the same month as this album. Wow. Also, can you skip to the last, like, five seconds of this song? Because I reckon it's... That, does that not sound like it's going to jump directly into Hot for Teacher? Yeah, well, it is the double, it's the double kick. Yeah, but it doesn't. I wonder if they were thinking that because they've, yeah, they've squeezed in drop dead legs in between. Yeah. Some of these album tracks, are, yeah, I just weren't familiar with it all. They're real, real good, solid. Yeah, this one I didn't know at tunes. all. Um, this one, they drew inspiration from ACDC's Back in Black. Uh, uh, with Van Halen, or Eddie, delivering an airy and sharp riff that carries through the song until it ends with a boisterous and bluesy guitar solo over an unanticipated and lengthy coda. Back in black. <laughs> Go almost, yeah. So then we go into track six, which is maybe my favourite Van Halen song, Hot for Teacher. Just love the drums. Oh, so good. And uh, this was... And the bluesy, so bluesy riff is great. Um, Alex Assemblage of four bass drums oh, used right. to create the Sonic Blitz. Yeah, it's, it's real nice. Massage for the ears. So good. Um... It's an amalgamation of Eddie's non-stop fretwork shuffle and Roth at his most comedic. And a relentless thump at the bottom end. I think, I don't know if this is uh, going too far, but 
Was David Lee Roth the horniest man in the world in the 80s? I mean, I feel like yes. Although I've read Motley Crue's uh, The Dirt book, and that's what I imagine all of these bands were doing at that time. Right. Oh, this bit's so good. Fab Lab just bluesy. What do you think the teacher's gonna look like this year? Oh! Sorry to be. Sorry to disagree. I think the the better part of that was the guitar, but. Teacher, stop that screaming! Teacher, don't you see? Don't wanna be no uptown fool. But I'm doing well. Teacher needs to see me after school. Those drums are just fucking off chops. Oh, got it bad, got it bad, got it bad. I'm hot teacher. So then the next track was also a single. They've split the singles up, tracks two and three and six and seven. But this is the one, this is the sort of forgotten single. And the 80s sounding track. Definitely. Oh, no, maybe the, it's there with Jump. Those, yeah, Jump's pretty good. But this is like some real, like, we're trying to be serious synth. <laughs> How do you be serious with a synth? Like this, apparently. Gloomy synth. It is a bit. Yeah, this was the track that I found the hardest to get into on this album. Um, which is interesting because it wasn't fully written by... Van Halen. No. And I see they, they forgot to credit the other songwriter on the US release, only on the UK release, maybe. Yeah, Michael McDonald from the from a former Doobie Brother. Hey, one of the doobs. One of the old doobs. Hey, remember the Doobie Brothers? Well, we got one of them. <laughs> um, but pretty much... Uh, it was a point of contention between their producer, I believe, uh, and Eddie... Because the producer kept getting under the guitarist or kept getting under Eddie's skin in the studio by humming uh, Hold Your Head Up by Argent while they were referring to this song. So they kind of pissed each other off in a way. And then um, David Lee Roth hit a wall in composing the lyrics to it as well. So that's why they brought in X Dube. Ah. That's not Rod Argent. He's not. Argent from um, something Argent from bloody the zombies. It is. Oh, that's interesting. So he was he was the keyboardist from the zombies. Who did a I did a do go on episode about. Oh really? They connected. There was a fake band who toured as the zombies after the zombies broke up. What? And two of the members went on to form ZZ Top. What? It's a wild story. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a well, it's a YouTube episode if people are interested. I'll try and remember to put a link to that. Um, but yeah, it's also on the on the podcast feed. But yeah, it's interesting that he was humming Argent. I hadn't heard of Argent before I was researching for that episode. Uh, yeah, and the Zombies are like a they're a Hall of Fame rock band, psychedelic rock band as well. What? Um, yeah, that old Wade. I don't know. It's. Yeah, That's that not... one. That one was a hard one to get into. And then it finishes with a couple of classic-y sort of Van Halen rockers, "Girl yeah. Gone Bad." Bum, 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 bum. 
Yeah, these are like there's a few tracks on this album that just sort of sweep past me. This is one of them, but I think there's some great guitar stuff in both of these last tracks. Mm. Um, so this one, Eddie wrote the track uh, sitting in his hotel room closet because his then wife was sleeping. <laughs> so he's humming and whistling into a micro cassette recorder in the cupboard. Uh, and then came in the next day to finish it properly. And it's been described as featuring some of Van Halen's most searing guitar work, including a frenetic solo uh, that teeters dangerously on the edge without ever going overboard. Not sure what that means, but hectic <laughs> guitar, I think, is the simplified version. Yeah, it's, all, it's hectic the whole way through, really. Picture him with, with his guitar in the cupboard as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm picturing, like, my cupboard, but... No, he probably had like a. His cupboard's as big as my bedroom, probably. That's, yeah, I like His Lamborghinis in there as well. (laughs) Oh, that's where I get my wardrobe Lamborghini. Yeah, I was picturing a cupboard like the size of a door. Squared. Cubed? Cubed. I'm gonna pick up some of that guitar solo. It's teeters on the edge. Teeters. God, he can hit some high notes, though. Far out. And some high jumps. And some high that, bloody... That high split jump. Heck, loves, dear, how, okay. It. How many singers of a hair metal band were doing that in the 80s? Because yeah. I reckon none of them could kick like David Lee Roth. My favourite bit of that clip, I think, is right at the end where they sort of... Um, the they three of them, minus Alex, shuffle towards the camera. Yeah. Front shuffle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so is there funny. a weird freeze frame at the end of that? Ah, uh, yeah, probably. Has that he sounds, jumps, maybe? Yeah, I feel like yes. Uh, and then the final track, House of Pain. Uh, which was one of the oldest songs in the... in Was one of the oldest songs in Van Halen's inventory at the time, um, dating back to 1975, and Eddie used to perform Eruption in the middle of it uh, during some of their live uh, uh. shows. Um, and the track was actually part of the 1976 demo produced by Gene Simmons. Right. Of Kiss, if anyone did not know. <laughs> oh, that Gene, Gene Simmons. <laughs> that Gene Simmons. Yeah, this one, the last two tracks on this album were a bit... I know, it just didn't stick with me. And I probably listened to this album a fair amount since last week. Yeah, I've smashed it my t- usual 20 plus times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I research hard. You do. Especially when, when the researcher is playing an album on loop. <laughs> I work hard for this podcast. Work hard, listen hard, play hard. Yeah, I, I really like those last two tracks. But yeah, like you said, they're not they're not earworms or anything. No. But they're rockers. They are heavy. They're headbangers. Chugga, 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 chugga. Uh, sick. All right, well, that's the album. That's 1984. Mm. I love the boldness of uh, an album just titling it as the whole year. This is, not, this is what 1984 this is sounds 1984. like. Um, we are 1984. This is it. This is it. Um, so there's a, an ongoing um, 
I suppose, joke or a fact that goes around about Van Halen and brown M&Ms. Have you ever heard of this? No. Oh, is it what that they asked for them to be taken out of? Yeah. Oh. And it's, uh, I've heard it numerous times and it's always like kind of a, the butt of a joke. But um, I found a little article that describes the more in-depth details of it. Um, so Van Halen had a notable effect on the modern rock music tour with their use of a concert technical contract writer. Uh, the band famously used its contract writers to specify a wish list, a practice now used throughout the music industry. Uh, they pioneered extensive requirements, including power availability and stage construction details. Uh, but the band's demands were not limited to technical issues. Their now infamous writer specified that a bowl of M&Ms with all of the brown M&Ms removed was to be placed in the dressing room. And people thought they were just being like absolute fucking divas. Like, hmm. fucking look at these blokes. Don't even want to eat the brown M&Ms. They all taste the same anyway. Um, but according to David Lee Roth, uh, this was listed in the technical portion of the contract. Not because the band wanted to make uh, ridiculous demands of the venue, but rather as a test of whether or not the contract had actually been thoroughly read and honoured uh, as it contained other requirements involving legitimate safety concerns. If the bowl was present, then the band members could safely assume the other legitimate items in the technical rider were being fulfilled to their satisfaction. Conversely, if the bowl was missing or brown M&Ms were present, then the band members would be within their rights to have the venue inspect the work and ask that it be redone, etc. Uh, and that was because their concern for safety was real, uh, as during their earlier tours, not only had equipment been damaged, but several members of their road crew were nearly electrocuted both to an inadequate safety measures and preparation on part of the local venue. So it was all basically just a test to see if uh, all the technical aspects had been fulfilled by chucking in this little request about brown M&Ms. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. So it sounds like they were taking OH&S really seriously. Yeah, I've heard uh, it'd be interesting to know how, some you know, you can you can uh, rewrite history sometimes. But, yeah. But uh, – Taking him at his word, yeah, that is interesting. I have heard that people do that as well. They do it to make sure people are taking the rider seriously. But then there's ones like Mariah Carey. Have you heard of her old riders? It would be no. like I need a whatever square by whatever square foot room completely decorated white. There must be like 12 white rabbits. It must be set at like 22 degrees Same with reason. X amount of humidity. Same reason. So H&S. Yep. She can't perform otherwise yeah. and someone must wheel her or carry her to the stage because she does not need to do that because she is Mariah Carey. Yeah, okay. That's fair enough. And if everyone could check the backing track was on, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> and her mic is off. <laughs> yes. No, good on her. Legend. Legend. Legend Mariah Carey. Yeah. With, oh, I can't think of a song, but, you know, with all those hits. All I want for Christmas yeah. is you. <laughs> Except that wasn't hers, was it? Yeah, isn't it? I don't think it, it's not originally hers. Oh, isn't it just know. a Christmas Carol? No, nah, I reckon that's one of hers. Oh fuck! Why I've been we, living a lie. Why have we gone down this path? I don't know. What is another Mariah Carey song? I can't. Uh, There's a good chance I'm editing this part out. That's great. Because I can't think of a single Mariah Carey song. Uh, let me find. So, so emotional was that one? I do not know. Me neither. Mariah Carey co-wrote and produced it. There you okay, go. Okay, Sam. Fuck. So back off. Can you tell me another song by her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember she had this big album called Music Box. 
But I just can't remember any songs off it. But I would know them if I heard them, I'm sure. You know? Wow. Let me see. Okay. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Vision of Love, number one US hit. Never love Takes Time, number one hit. Someday, number one hit. I Don't Want to Cry, number one hit. Emotions, number one hit. I'll Be There, number one hit. Dream Lover, number one hit. Hero, number one hit. She had a lot of number ones. Is that ones. the one that's like... All I Want for Christmas, number one. Fantasy, number one. One Sweet Day with Boys to Man, number one. I know that one. Always Be My Baby, number one. Honey, number one. My All, number one. What the hell? Heartbreaker, number one, featuring Jay-Z. Why the fuck can't I remember a single one how it goes except for All I Want Thank for Christmas? Thank God I found you, number one. What the hell? Oh we belong God. together, number oh, one. Oh, I know that one. Don't forget about us, number one. Touch my we body, number one. Together. Oh, I know that one too from that viral YouTube video. Touch How my many body. number one? Do, she do, must do, have. Do. That's a lot of number one hits. She's a very popular person. That's well, you why think she. Like Van Halen's had one number one hit. Why do you think she can ask for a room completely decorated white <laughs> with like eighty nine doves or some shit? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, fair enough. That's a lot of number ones. Though. That's a lot of number ones. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, I think you'll find she's a pretty big star. I would, yeah, I'd, I'd back that. Anyway, that we'll save that for our series about, I don't what the don't know. pop pop stars. Mm. 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 Uh, anyway, so what do you rate this album oh. out of uh, rate 80? Rate, rating? Rate, rate, rate? Ra- eight. Ra- give it a rate 80. Yeah, give it a rating. 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 I reckon I really liked it. Shock. uh, (laughs) I think, I don't know. I feel it's just so silly to compare these albums. I'm going to say. Maybe we're not comparing them to each other. Let's just, out of 80, what would you, you know, if it's like 10 points for hits, 10 points for musical ability. If you give me a system like that, that. Well, music well, you made this system. Is this was your high. idea. Well, I'm going to say 60. Uh, <laughs> they're a band. If any band needs this number, it's them. 69. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm going to match that with a 69 also. Because they're a real 69. Actually, no, I band. can't do that. It's not. I'm going to give it a 60. Sorry. That's a big drop. It is. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 69. That's good. That's good for them. But then those last two songs that just really didn't stick with me. Right. I can't rate them that well, high. Well, last three, and then you didn't really like the third last track either. No. And the first track. No. You didn't like track one, seven, eight, nine. And how many tracks are on there? A nine. So you like. Maybe I should drop it further. <laughs> 55. Great. 55 uh, it is. Well, yeah. So you like Jump, Panama, Top Jimmy, Drop Dead Legs, and Hot for Teacher. Is that right? I think that's about right. I think my standout tracks, I mean. I think Hot for Teachers is that drums. Uh, and always. That riff is so good. Uh, and then, I don't know. All, yeah, there's a bunch of the other ones that I quite like. Oh, wait. I don't. I'm not I really don't into. rate that. The intro song is sort of not that. really a song. No. Um, <laughs> Doesn't if count. I, if it was 45 minutes, then sure. <laughs> <laughs> I want to draw it. Yeah, 69 CI for me as well. Um, yep. I, I'm going to change. I'll change all these. Uh, well, at the very end of the season, we'll we'll, we'll rank, revisit. Yeah, but I'd say uh, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60. 60. <laughs> All right. So 
Uh, but I like, I mean, I still like it. I've liked all four albums I've really enjoyed. Yeah. It's so different from each other. Very different indeedy. Uh, any letters in the mailbag this week? Um, just one very short little guy, which we appreciate. Short and sharp, not unlike this episode, I believe. Uh, keep singing, Sam. You are cool. Matt is okay. Five stars. Sean from Canada. Thank you, Sean from Canada. <laughs> uh, I feel that feels great to be it thought feels, of as okay. That's that's yeah. Thanks for all of your support, Sean. Uh, I want to give a shout out to a few people though. Oh yeah. Uh, Paul Meller uh, on. Twitter always responds to our work, which I appreciate the shit out of. Uh, absolute legend. Oh, what a guy. It, literally everything. He's all over it, and I appreciate the hell out of it because it's nice to know that someone's listening. Um, who else we got? Pretty much everyone. There's a lot of random people that have replied to us on Twitter. We've got a new, a handful of new followers this uh, season, which has been fun. Um, so, if, yeah, people want to get on, on the social media, it's uh, Listen Now Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes. And if you want to email us and get on the currently empty uh, letters to Alan, email us at uh, listennowpod at gmail.com. I nearly forgot what we were called. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I do that all the time. Yeah, get your letters in there. Uh, the bag hasn't been filled up because it wasn't all that long between recording, recording last week's no. and this week's, but uh, there will be a gap uh, before the next one we recall the next one. So plenty of time to get some letters in if you're a keen. Listen now, pod at gmail.com. Uh, well, that does bring us to the end of the bloody episode. It does. So nothing else to say except for goodbye, Astrid. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Hey, Hulk, it's me, um, Captain Australia. <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> Hulk smash. Uh, next week, if you choose to accept your mission, we're going to be talking about Nine Inch Nails' debut album, and I forget what it's called, but that's all you need to know Sonic so far. Pieces? Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> Why are we so good at this? Uh, Pretty Hate Machine. Nice. Pretty Hate Machine. And Hulk smash record. I think uh, we'll be doing it with special guests and Ooh. the biggest Nine Inch Nails fan that I know, Evan Munro-Smith. Hulk not smash guest. From Gamey Gamey Game in the Super Doll Studios. So. Yay. Yes, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Laters. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.